Hi, and welcome to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics, a podcast aimed at helping you excel during your clinical clerkship in pediatrics. I'm Dr. Rachel Moon, and I'm a general pediatrician and professor of pediatrics at the University of Virginia. Today, we'll be reviewing overall child development. So why is it important to learn about development? Well, besides the fact that questions about child development are favorite questions on shelf exams, step two, and board exams, it's an integral part of what we as pediatricians and you as a medical student on your clerkship will do every single time you walk into the room. Assessing a child's development is considered by pediatricians to be part of the complete physical exam. It's a part of the puzzle of being able to assess normal from abnormal. Whether a child is developing normally or not will impact your differential diagnosis for just about any illness. Here's an example of how knowledge of development will impact your differential diagnosis. You're seeing a two-month-old with a large bump on the head. The parents report that the baby rolled off the bed and hit their head on the floor. When you examine the baby, there's a step-off of the skull bones, making you concerned about a skull fracture. What is your differential diagnosis for a skull fracture in a two-month-old? Accidental and non-accidental trauma are certainly going to be on the list. If you know that rolling is a motor milestone that very few two-month-olds have attained, as it is usually not attained until the infant is three or four months old, The history from the parents should put non-accidental trauma higher on your differential because the history is inconsistent with the physical exam findings. You also will get a lot of questions from parents about their child's development. For instance, it's not uncommon that a parent will say at the 12-month well child, she's not talking yet or he's not walking yet and want you to reassure them that this is within normal limits. And last but not least, early recognition of developmental delay and referral to appropriate specialists and resources is key to the child's overall health, well-being, and future success in learning. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, estimates that about one in six children has a developmental disability. Only one quarter of these are identified before the age of three years, and fewer than half of these children are identified as having a problem before starting school. Identifying developmental delays early is a very important part of allowing us to intervene early and therefore change the trajectory of children's lives. Because early treatment can make a big difference in a child's ability to learn new skills, early referral and early treatment are very important for children with developmental disabilities. Speech therapy, physical therapy, and other services are available in every state for free or at low cost to parents, often through a program called early intervention. However, if a developmental concern is not identified early, parents can't take advantage of these services. We assess development at each visit until the age of five years. At that point, the vast majority of children are in school, and the school takes over the primary responsibility for identifying new developmental or learning problems. So let's start to review some of the terms that you will hear a lot in relation to developmental milestones, surveillance versus screening versus diagnosis. Developmental surveillance is when we monitor development in a longitudinal process at every visit. When we do developmental surveillance, we ask about concerns, take a developmental history based on milestone attainment, observe milestones and other behaviors, examine the child, and use our clinical judgment to decide if a child may be at risk for delays and when additional developmental screening may be warranted. 
Developmental screening involves the use of validated screening tools at specific ages or when surveillance reveals a concern. It is more formal, it is done by medical professionals in primary care offices, and it is recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics, or AAP, for all children at ages 9, 18, and 30 months. Autism-specific screening using a validated autism screening tool is also recommended at ages 18 months and 24 months. One validated screening tool that is commonly used is the Ages and Stages Questionnaire for Routine Developmental Screening. A common autism screening tool is the MCHAT, or Modified Checklist for Autism in Toddlers. If a child is deemed to be at risk for developmental delay through the surveillance or screening processes, then a diagnostic evaluation is done, typically by a developmental specialist, to further evaluate and diagnose developmental delays. We often will use milestone checklists to guide our developmental surveillance, but unlike the tools that we use for diagnosis and screening, these checklists are usually not validated. The AAP and CDC in 2022 updated and revised the Developmental Milestones Checklist. The CDC Developmental Milestones Checklist uses the 75th percentile for the milestones at each age. In other words, 75% of children are expected to be able to do each of the activities on the checklist for each age. This is different from some of the other milestone checklists, which use the 50th percentile. With the checklist that use the 50th percentile, as we'll talk about at the end of the episode, many clinicians will monitor for a few months before deciding whether to refer to early intervention services. The new CDC developmental milestones use the 75th percentile specifically to discourage this wait-and-see approach, and it is hoped that children will be referred earlier. You should know that there is a developmental milestone checklist for every health supervision visit from two months to five years, but each practice may be slightly different in what they use, so check with your resident or attending as to what is being used in your practice. Also, the most recent revisions of milestone checklists now have open-ended questions because developmental surveillance involves more than just checklists. These questions are there to help you initiate conversations about development that are based on the child's and family's strengths and to develop trust with parents about their child's development. Sometimes parents don't want to report concerns about development because they feel that it reflects upon their own parenting or their home environment. So these questions can help identify concerns that a checklist alone will not capture. There are four major categories in which we assess in our developmental surveillance and screening. Social and emotional, language and communication, cognitive, and movement and physical development. Let's quickly describe these four categories or domains. First, social-emotional. This domain is about how children interact with each other and show emotion. This begins with smiling when talked to or smiled at, laughing, recognizing people, stranger anxiety, and showing affection. Language and communication. This domain is about how children express their needs and share what they're thinking, as well as understand what is said to them. Hearing is a big part of language and communication. If you can't hear well, your language skills will reflect that. Language skills can be divided into expressive and receptive language. Expressive language is how you express yourself, so words and sentences. 
Receptive language includes hearing, of course, but also understanding. Language and communication milestones include cooing, babbling, saying words, waving bye-bye, pointing to body parts, and following commands. Language can be spoken or sign language. The cognitive domain is the learning, thinking, and problem-solving domain. This domain is about how children learn new things and solve problems. It includes how children explore their environment to figure things out, whether by looking at the world around them, putting objects in their mouth, or dropping something to watch it fall. This domain also includes academic skills like counting and learning letters and numbers. The movement and physical development domain is about how children use their bodies. It includes many milestones that parents excitedly wait for. This domain is further broken down into gross motor and fine motor. Gross motor is how you use all of your big muscles, so head control, rolling over, sitting, crawling, standing, walking, running. Fine motor is basically hand-eye coordination, using your vision to see what you're doing and then using your fingers to manipulate objects. This would include activities like reaching, grabbing, and letting go of objects. So some developmental milestones will fit more than one domain. For example, pretending to be something else like a teacher, superhero, or dog when you're playing with others, which is a four-year-old milestone, can be a social-emotional milestone and a cognitive milestone. Following directions, for example, two-step commands, which is a two-year-old milestone, can be language and communication and a cognitive milestone. And playing peekaboo, which is a 9- to 12-month milestone, can be a cognitive and a social and emotional milestone. You will want to ask about activities in each of these domains. Many practices will have parents complete a checklist before or during the well-child visit, so you can refer to that. If there are delays in one category of development versus delays in more than one category, that changes your differential and changes your management of the patient. For instance, if you have a child with isolated delays in language and communication, but is meeting milestones in all of the other categories, hearing loss will be high on your differential. However, if you have a child with delays in both language and communication and social and emotional skills, autism spectrum disorder will be high on your differential. So how do you learn the milestones? We're going to go through some of the major milestones in a few minutes, but before we do that, I want to go over a couple of suggestions and general comments. First, we usually classify milestones based on when we see them for well-child visits, so it will be helpful for you to learn the schedule for well-child visits. These visits are timed both so that we can check on growth and development, but also so that we can give vaccines. After the newborn period, we see babies every two months, so two, four, and six months. As the rate of growth and development start to slow down, we begin spacing the visits out. After the six-month visit, we see patients every three months, so 9, 12, 15, and 18 months. Then we go to every six months for 24, 30, and 36 months. Beginning at 36 months or three years, we go to every year. Secondly, if you know any young children, watch them for a few minutes to see what they can do. That will help you remember these specific ages. It can also be fun to watch them before you know how old they are and then try to guess their approximate age before you ask the parent. It's also a good idea to try to see patients at all different ages during your pediatric clerkship so that you can observe what they are doing and get a feel for what is normal. 
So don't just look at the milestones, look at the child. Seeing what they are doing will help you to cement these milestones in your memory. Third, the milestones that we're going to go through are the ages at which most children attain them. Of course, there's going to be a range. Some children will attain specific milestones earlier, while others attain them a little bit later. Okay, let's go through some of the major milestones in each category. Where I have tricks to remember milestones, I'll tell you. And for those where I don't have tricks, I'll try to relate the milestones to other aspects of growth and development so that it's easier for you to remember. After we go through the major milestones, we'll go through some case scenarios that illustrate some of the common questions that you may get during your clerkship. So let's start with gross motor development. I think that these are the easiest to remember. And again, these are often the ones that parents really focus on. In the first year of life, children develop their gross motor skills from head to toe. In terms of gross motor development, the goal of the first year is for the child to walk. In the first three months, the baby gains control of their head and neck. So by three months of age, they should be able to hold their head steady when they're in an upright position. They should also be able to lift their head when they're placed on their stomach, such as when they're awake and in tummy time. In the next three months, the baby gains control of their trunk. They begin to lift their chest and upper abdomen when they're in tummy time. And in around four months, they can roll over. Then they begin sitting. First, they need to support themselves by using a tripod position with their arms extended and on the floor in front of them. By six months, they can generally sit unsupported for at least a few seconds. In the next three months, think knees. So by nine months, they generally begin crawling. In the next three months, think feet. They first pull themselves up to a standing position, then walk holding on to something, which we call cruising. And then by 12 months, they're beginning to walk unassisted at least for a few steps. After the first year, gross motor milestones are focused on locomotion. By 18 months, children develop the ability to run. And by two years or 24 months of age, they start to hop or jump on two feet. I remember running at 18 months by thinking of Olympic jumpers who run before they jump. And I remember jumping at two years because you have two feet leaving the ground at two years old. I know that's not very good, but it does work for me. The three-year-old gross motor milestone is easy to remember. It's being able to ride a tricycle. A tricycle has three wheels for three-year-olds. And then four-year-olds can balance and hop on one foot. I remember this because if you're standing on one foot in a tree yoga pose, which is when one leg is bent at the knee with the bottom of the foot touching the straight leg, the legs form a shape that looks like the number four. Okay, so those are some of the major gross motor milestones. Let's now move to the fine motor milestones. Remember, these are all about hand-eye coordination. In the first couple of months, we focus on whether the babies seem like they can see. If you move an object in front of their face, do their eyes follow to see where the object goes? At around two months, the babies will discover their hands. Before this, they will grasp anything that is put into their hands, and that's called the palmar grasp reflex. It's not a voluntary skill. But then at around two months, they'll start using their hands to swipe or hit objects, such as in a mobile. They will also realize that they have hands, and they'll stare at their hands. At three to four months, the grasp reflex will also start to go away, and so they'll be able to let go of objects as well as grab them. 
At around four to six months, they will start to reach for objects with their whole hand. Their fingers will be like a rake, and they'll use what is called a raking motion to bring small objects closer to them. Often, they'll try to bring their hands and or these objects to their mouth. Conveniently, this is around the time when babies start to eat foods other than human milk or formula. But it also means that you have to be sure that they can't get to objects that they may choke on. By 9 to 12 months, they'll have discovered their thumb and will pick up things with the tips of their thumb and their index finger. This is called a pincer grasp. The pincer grasp should be well developed by 12 months in most children. Starting around that time, or around one year, is when most children have also started to transition from pureed baby foods to foods that are more like what their family is eating. They can use their pincer grasp to pick up what we call finger foods, foods that can be picked up with the fingers. So in my mind, just like the baby's gross motor goal at the end of the first year is to walk, the baby's fine motor goal at the end of the first year is to begin to feed themselves. At around one year, they also can start to use a cup. Again, this is convenient because they should be transitioning from using a bottle to a cup at around this time. Somewhere between 18 to 24 months, they should be also able to start using a spoon. They can pick up some food and bring it to their mouth, although not very precisely or cleanly. Beginning around two years, they can scribble and may be able to draw a few lines. And then at three years, they can draw a circle. They can also start to draw pictures of people, which at this point will be basically a big circle for the head and then maybe a few lines for the arms and legs. At four years, they can draw intersecting lines and maybe a square. And at five, they can start to draw a triangle and maybe write some of their ABCs. It makes sense that they need to be able to draw these different shapes before they can write their letters. Now let's talk about language and communication. Remember that hearing is an important part of this. In fact, if a child is not meeting their language milestones, the first thing that you want to do in your evaluation is to have their hearing tested. Even if they pass their newborn hearing screen, they could still have hearing problems. Delayed onset hearing loss has many causes. Probably the most common is frequent ear infections or otitis media. These infections can leave behind middle ear effusions or fluid behind the eardrum, and this can cause conductive hearing loss. I tell parents that when you have a middle ear effusion, it's kind of like trying to hear um, when you have water in your ears or while you're underwater. Everything is garbled, and that makes it hard for their children to learn how to understand and say words. For language, I think that the goal of the first year is to be able to say one or two words with intent and meaning. That means that the child intends to say the specific word, and it means the same thing every time. So for instance, if a baby says ba, 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 but it doesn't mean anything specific, that doesn't count as a word. That's called babbling, which is an earlier skill that you attain at around six months. But if the baby says ba, ba, consistently to mean bottle, that does count as a word. So let's see how we get to true words. By two months, babies are communicating by smiling and making sounds other than crying. Around three to four months, they start cooing, which means making vowel sounds like ooh, ee, or ah. If you talk to them, they'll often make cooing sounds in response. If you remember that coo is a three-letter word, you can remember that at three months, babies coo. They'll also start laughing. At around six months, they start babbling, which we mentioned before. Babble is a six-letter word, so that may help you remember that. 
They will start using consonants, so you will hear ma ma ma, da da da, ba ba ba, but without intent or meaning. They will gradually start babbling longer words and start imitating sounds. Then, at around twelve months, they will say one or two words with meaning. If you put one and two together, that makes twelve. So, one or two words at twelve months. Children could also understand more words and simple commands at this time. Maybe it's not surprising that "no" is often one of the first words that children say consistently, with intent and with meaning. At two years, they'll have about twenty to thirty words, and will start speaking in two-word phrases such as "more milk," "no go," or "go bye bye." They also can follow two-step directions like "pick up the book and bring it to me," and parents can understand at least two-fourths of what they are saying. So remember, at two years, twenty words, two-word phrases. Two-step commands and two-fourths understandable. You'll see why I say two-fourths understandable instead of one-half understandable in a minute. At three years, they use three-word phrases and their speech is three-fourths understandable. At four years, they use four-word sentences and their speech is totally or four-fourths understandable. Okay, the next category of development is social de- emotional. The goal of the first year is recognizing that people are individuals that they can interact with. We start by seeing how babies react to people. This starts at around two months when they start to have what is called a social smile. This is a smile when they see a person or in reaction to something that a person says or does. At around four months, they start to laugh. At six months, they're starting to be able to distinguish people. So, if they recognize people as being familiar or strangers, what do you think comes when they realize that you're a stranger? That's right. Stranger anxiety starts at six to nine months. So, when a baby starts to cry when you approach them, you shouldn't take it personally. By one year of age, they will really start to interact with people by pointing at objects to get people's attention and playing games like peekaboo. By two years, they'll recognize emotion, so they may stop playing and look sad when another child starts crying. They will play next to other children, but will probably not play with the other children. That's called parallel play. Think of two parallel sticks for parallel play at two years. Interactive play, where they play with other children, generally starts at around three years, and pretend play, where they play dress up. Or pretend to be animals generally starts at around four years. Note that children with early signs of autism spectrum disorder often have delays in the social emotional category of development. They may not interact with people or try to get their attention. The last category is the cognitive domain. As we said before, this is the learning, thinking, and problem-solving domain, and how children explore their environment to learn new things and solve problems. Because there's so much overlap with the other domains, many of these milestones are incorporated into surveillance and screening questions for the other domains. So I'm going to try to relate some of these milestones with the others that we've gone through. So at two months, babies can focus on people and on objects, which makes sense because this is also around the time when they develop a social smile. At six months, they're beginning to explore objects by reaching for them and putting them in their mouths, but they don't have a sense of object permanence. That comes at around nine to twelve months. If a person or object disappears, they look for it. So babies at this age love the game peekaboo. At fifteen to eighteen months. Children understand how to use objects. For instance, they'll begin to stack blocks on top of each other or push wheeled toys around. They will also start to copy what other people are doing. 
At 24 months, they're beginning to understand how objects relate to other objects. For instance, they'll learn that if they turn a knob or flip a switch, something will happen, like a toy will pop up or a light will turn on. At 30 months, they're developing simple problem-solving skills, such as standing on a chair to reach an object. And at 36 months, they're beginning to understand consequences. So if you tell them that something is hot, then maybe they won't touch it. Okay, so those are some of the major milestones. Now let's go through a few common case scenarios that have some specific teaching points. First case, you're seeing a two-year-old for a checkup. You get the history from the parents using a Spanish language interpreter. When you ask about what words the child is saying, they tell you that he can only say no and milk. They ask you if he should be talking more. When you get the social history, you learn that he attends childcare and that his childcare providers are both English and Spanish speaking. The rest of the developmental screen and the physical exam are normal. Do you need to worry about his language development? So this child lives in a multilingual environment. For such children, you will want to count the words in all of the languages that they are speaking. So maybe this child only has two English words, but 20 or 30 Spanish words. If so, then you can reassure the family that he's doing just fine with his language skills. Okay, next case. You're seeing a 12-month-old girl. She was born at 32 weeks gestation, and other than being treated for groupy strep sepsis, she did well in the neonatal intensive care unit. She has been doing well at home, and the parents have no concerns. When you look at the developmental screening tool, the child cannot take steps on her own. She's babbling and says mama and dada, but the parents don't think that she knows yet what mama and dada mean. Should you be concerned? The key point here is that when you see a child who was born preterm, you will add a correction factor for their preterm status until they are two years old. We do this for growth as well. So this patient is 12 months old, but was born at 32 weeks gestation. Since full-term gestation is 40 weeks, she was born eight weeks or roughly two months early. Thus, you will expect this child to be meeting milestones and growth parameters for a 10-month-old, not a 12-month-old. So is this child meeting 10-month milestones? Well, we talked about 9-month and 12-month milestones, so you have to do a little extrapolation and maybe get a little more history. You know that walking without assistance is a 12-month milestone. Is she taking a few steps while holding on to something or someone? In other words, is she cruising? If so, that is certainly acceptable for someone who is 10 months corrected age. She's babbling a lot, so that is also acceptable for 10 months corrected age. So this child is probably okay. As a side note, most babies who are born preterm are automatically referred to early intervention services where their development will be followed closely and they can get any needed services from physical, occupational, and or speech therapists and developmental specialists. Okay, next case. You're seeing a little boy for his three-year-old well-child visit. He's running around the exam room, and when you ask about the baby that his mother is holding, he says, new baby sissy. He's very busy in the exam room, running around, jumping up and down excitedly while you're talking to his mother, and so you give him a piece of paper and crayons to draw a picture. In a few minutes, he brings you what he's drawn, a large circle with a few smaller circles and lines inside the big circle. He proudly tells you that this is his daddy. 
His mother's one concern is that he seems to have regressed since his baby sister was born. He used to be fully potty trained, and now he keeps having accidents during the day. Otherwise, the rest of the history in your exam is normal. Are you worried about this developmental regression? There are a couple of teaching points in this scenario. First, we didn't talk about potty training because that doesn't really fall cleanly into a specific domain. However, it is a milestone usually attained between two and a half and three and a half years of age. Second, observation of what the child is doing while you're taking the history can give you a great idea of how the child is doing. This three-year-old is running, jumping, and speaking in three-word phrases. He can draw circles and line. These are all right in line with what a three-year-old should be doing. However, there's this developmental regression or losing skills that he once had. In general, if a child is experiencing developmental regression, that should give you pause. We often will see some mild regression in one category when the child is experiencing some trauma or stress, and having a new baby in the home is certainly a big life change that can cause stress. In this case, given that everything else is normal, I think that you can reassure the mother. However, there are other disease processes that we need to keep in in the back of our minds when we see developmental regression, the two most common categories being autism spectrum disorder and neurodegenerative diseases. Finally, I want to spend a few minutes talking about what you do if you see developmental delay. If you're using a 50th percentile checklist and the delay is mild or in one category only, you may want to give the parents activities to do at home and then have them return for evaluation at the next well-child visit or sooner. For instance, if there are some mild language delays, you may want to encourage the parent to spend more time talking to the child and responding to the child when they talk or to spend more time reading books with the child since that is an evidence-based strategy to improve language skills. If it is just language delay, then a hearing test is probably a good idea as well. If you're using the CDC checklist where 75% of children at that age can do the listed activities and there's a delay, or if there are delays in more than one category, you will obviously need to think about your differential diagnosis. But it will also be important to think about resources and services that may help this child. This will include physical, occupational, and speech therapies, and or referral to developmental and or educational specialists. It is never wrong to refer a child for early intervention. That's it for this episode. I would encourage you to pay attention whenever there are young children around and watch what they can and can't do. You will learn a lot about normal development that way. Thanks for listening to Clerkship Ready Pediatrics. I hope that you found today's podcast helpful. Don't forget to subscribe below and rate the podcast.